Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast called Frontier Faith. This is a podcast where we declare that it is okay not to know. It's okay not to know where you are in your faith journey. It's okay not to know what you actually believe or even what you're going to believe. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to go into the frontier of the church. So, of course, we've already talked about the church in some angle, and that was church and culture. That was one of our very first conversations. But that was really more about the interaction the church has with the culture, and it was more how we live in this world as defined according to a particular American culture as we Ryan and I grew up. Today what we want to do is we want to talk more about what the church is briefly, and more importantly, what the purpose of the church is for us. And we're going to be doing that in the three parts that we normally do that. This part will be about our heritage that we inherited, uh, what we Ryan and I grew up with, and we're going to talk about that and discover something about ourselves. And then we're going to talk about how we saw some cracks. We're going to show some deconstruction that happened in our lives in the next episode. And then in the final episode, we are going to think about what a way forward might look like, what it might look like after going through such a deconstruction. So as I usually do, I want to start by asking Ryan the question. And the question is, is as you were growing up, what was the purpose of the church? I think there are plenty of things I could talk about here. Um, in the Pentecostal world that I grew up in, certainly the there were a few different purposes of church, and I'm just going to say a few of them and then probably focus on one, and I'll get into why in just a minute here. But I think one of the purposes for church was certainly to um, gather with other Christians, right, in community, especially to worship God. Not that you couldn't do that elsewhere in ways, but there was something special about gathering on a Sunday or a Wednesday or whatever day it was and, you know, singing together, hearing a sermon, etc. I think for the, the Pentecostals, generally speaking, I think across the board, there is this idea of the church exists for um, preaching the gospel, not just within the church itself, but as like a evangelistic or missionary outreach to people who are not Christians. And both of those things could be their own subjects, but I just had to say them because that's certainly in the mix, right? But I think the one, at least in what I, or the, the experience that I had, the one that was um, the most important or the one that at least made the biggest impression on me more than those two was the fact that for us, church was a, the purpose of church was to experience God um, in some kind of physical or emotional or spiritual way, or all three, through the work of the Spirit. Um, that's going to be a gigantic thing. It's pretty central to the Pentecostal religious expression and experience and understanding. Um, but certainly, when you have church, when you meet together, you should be experiencing God in some way. That could look a lot of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. One of the most famous ones that even people who aren't Pentecostal have probably heard of is speaking in tongues. Yeah. So that's when somebody speaks in a language that isn't theirs, either a an actual language that they don't know, or sometimes they have this, it's you know, personal prayer language kind of thing. It may not be an actual language, but they are 
vocalizing something that God is doing. And um, that's a very central part of Pentecostalism, that action. And that very much, they talk about even that being um, like your spirit is communing with God's spirit and God is doing something in you. And then the outward speaking in tongues is kind of the outward expression of what's happening internally, Mm. both for you, but also for the um, to help and edify the people that are there with you. Right. So that's why they still think it's important for people to speak in tongues and worship services, because we should expect to experience God when we are together for worship. And whatever God is doing in me or you um, shouldn't just be for me. It should in some way be helpful to others as well. Okay, so the centrality of worship is an experience of God through the movement of the Spirit? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, like I said, that could, that could look a lot of different ways. I remember when I was a kid growing up um, in the 90s, uh, at that time, what happened a lot was they'd have, you know, the altar calls, which are still a thing that never yeah. went away. And I'd be surprised if it ever did. <laughs> right. um, but then what would happen is you'd pray for somebody and they started. Have you ever heard of the term being slain in the spirit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Although somebody would I pray for you. Bad connection to it. It's like a Benny Hinn type thing. Well, yeah, that's that's what it is, right? So somebody would pray for you and you would fall over. They say you fall under the power. You you know, the idea of like God, uh, you experience something not just spiritually, but even physically. And so you fall over because, you know, you're getting God's power on you, which is okay. kind of a neat thought, actually. Yeah. I kind of there is something cool to that when it goes to some of these places like, you know, with Benny Hinn and such, there's deeply problematic stuff going on there. But um, anyway, so that that kind of thing was happening a lot in in that time. And I remember at our church, they even they took duct tape and they put lines at the altar at the front so that when people went up, they spaced them so that if you fell, you wouldn't hit the person behind you. Oh, right? And they had like little sheets to put over women so that their skirts didn't ride up. Yeah. When they fell over, huh. you know, all this kind of stuff. Um and people would sometimes uh, laugh, right? Like they would um, say, receive like kind of like holy laughter, like a gift from God where they just laugh and laugh and laugh, okay. you know, or, or people would speak in tongues or they might prophesy or get what they call a word of wisdom, some kind of knowledge um, in order to help someone else. Like God would tell me something that someone else needed to hear that I don't even know what it is. And so huh. when I tell them something, it encourages them or gives them confirmation to some question they've been asking or dilemma they're having or something like that. Um, so those kinds of things, I think those were uh, very much central to how I remember, if you'll pardon the phrase, experiencing <sighs> church and what church was for. Interesting. So just because, as, go ahead. I would say because I, I know that that was, would not be how you would describe <laughs> the purpose of the church as you experienced it growing up. No, but I think it's really interesting. Like it explains a little bit more, even though we, we just talked about this, even though I've known you for a while, that explains a lot more about Pentecostalism to me than I ever knew. Like to have that as, it just makes so much sense. It's like, 
<laughs> I don't know why it took so long to make this connection that way. <laughs> because but it's so foreign to it your, is. you. It is. I mean, it's just like justification for us, right? It's just right. so central to you, the experience. So, yeah, as you mentioned, that's not really my experience. It's not the way that I grew up uh, in my heritage around. And I think many Lutherans would probably agree with me. I'm sure there are some that would not, but I think at its core for us, the purpose of worship, at least in the churches that I grew up in uh, and many of the churches that I've been to, they would say specifically the pastors, but you know, theologians attached to them as well would say that the purpose of worship is to assuage the conscience, to comfort the conscience. In terms of like, forgiveness of sins or just in exactly yeah so it's usually told in the story of martin luther that i've said several times on this podcast already but usually through the south park episode but it's it's a story of martin luther where he he feels guilty when it comes to god and his his sin against him and he constantly goes back to confession And Luther actually mentioned that the purpose of the Christian life is to have the conscience comforted. Uh, I don't know where that comes from, and that's probably not a direct quote. I actually don't put much much stock into that uh, idea of Luther personally, but it is what we grew up with. And therefore, if you've been listening to our podcast so far, everything else kind of falls into place and makes sense, right? That's why we have confession and absolution at the beginning, because the idea, according to this way of being church, the purpose of the church, is to uh, you come in and they believe that you are burdened by sin. And so, um, you know, I would suggest that we probably teach that you should be burdened, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. people come burdened to church with sins. And so the very first thing we have to do as Lutheran pastors is to forgive them. So why does it have to happen multiple times, though? Is that just so that people will really believe it because we've reinforced it? Uh, And I don't even mean that crudely. I just mean like, I understand the need to do that, especially in terms of comfort. But why does it need to be done over and over again? That I mean, I think that's exactly why. Uh, I think that the belief is We don't really, and we've talked about this, you and I, Ryan, on this podcast and outside, that grace is such a hard thing for us to get Mm -hmm. that we have to constantly hear it. Right. And especially in a tradition like mine where we're taught that we're poor, miserable sinners Mm -hmm. and that's a foundation for us, then the more, we call it the means of grace, the more grace that you receive during a worship service, the more comfort you get. And so then the, the creme de la creme of a worship service would have a baptism in it course, and would have Lord's right. Supper and would have, of course, a sermon in the traditional law gospel sermon. Uh, and the whole point of that creme de la creme worship service would be not only in the normal everyday rhythms of the worship service, the liturgy, are you forgiven constantly? But you also have all three spigots of that means of grace on. We're taught to think of it as kind of a faucet that has three uh, entry points, a, a pipe that has three faucets. And if, it, if baptism is going on, you can turn on one or, you know, the invocation is one where baptism is reminded of us. Mm. And so you turn that one on. 
And then if you have communion, you turn that one on. And then if you have the word, which you always do, because why wouldn't you have preaching? But you turn that one on, too. And the whole really point is to constantly comfort the conscience so that way when they leave church, when we leave church, we feel assured of our salvation, assured of our forgiveness. Well, I mean, you know, that does kind of make sense, right? Like, I know that, like, with my boyfriend and I, we often have to tell each other more than once, no, it's really okay, right? No, like, I really do forgive you, or no, I'm really not mad at you, because there's something about human beings where (laughs) we just can't accept it on the first one sometimes. Well, and, you know, just human psychology in general, even if it's not forgiveness, like, if it's love, we have to constantly... A lot of our anxieties around relationships is we don't feel like in the moment that we're truly loved. And so we do a lot of like defense mechanisms to protect ourselves. But in healthy relationships, what we do is we say, you know what? I'm not feeling loved right now. It's got nothing to do with what you're doing. It's just how I'm feeling right now. Would you please just assure me that you love me? Um, And at its core, I think that's something really beautiful about our heritage. And that is certainly what I would say is a major benefit is that it constantly reassures us. Now, there's a level of whether or not it sticks, but we've already talked about that in past podcasts. For me, I think right now it's just when it comes to the purpose of church, structurally or logically, I think it's really beautiful, this tradition where you are reminded that you are loved uh, insofar as you are forgiven, which again, we've talked about before, but it's, it is a very human need to be told, yes, don't worry. God still loves you. Don't worry. Jesus still loves you. Don't worry. You're still forgiven. Even though through the conversation and through the worship service, you've already sinned a hundred times, right? Yeah. And I mean, in one sense, you could say that the reason it needs to be done multiple times is because like you just said, we we constantly sin. And so maybe it's a model of, yeah, but that's okay because God forgives you. Right. Um, yeah. But even yeah. if you did something else, it's okay. Cause God forgives you. Right. I guess the only, the other side of that though is like, yeah, but with that, it's okay. Cause God forgives you. There's also the constant reminder of you're terrible. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But I guess we've talked about that in the past too. We have. So. And, and I mean, just uh, in the, in this conversation and bring it out, just briefly, is to say that, you know, we don't have to make people feel miserable in order for God's love and forgiveness to be great. Right. And I think in a in a structure of worship that's more traditional in this sense, um, that is about comforting the conscience, then it could just recognize that people are beat up by the world, hmm. uh, that people are burdened, but they're not necessarily burdened by moral guilt. Uh, I actually don't really believe that as much as I used to. Maybe not at all, depending on what day you ask me. Um, I I think that people are just burdened by the shittiness of this world and the way that people treat one another. And, you know, to use a psychological lens, uh, their attachment needs are just being destroyed all the time. Hmm. And... One of the beautiful things in that lens, now it's not the only way to see this, but one of the beautiful things about this tradition is to remind you that your attachment to God is secure no matter what. And if you do that well, 
which none of us really do. We're trying to work on that. I'm trying to work on that. But if you do that well, then you can maintain this kind of narrative and purpose of worship in a good way, sort of, uh, that speaks to the human experience hmm. rather than just comforting the conscience by making us artificially feel shitty because we committed a sin we didn't even really know we were committing. And then, oh, thank God Jesus still died for us and we're still forgiven. So that reassurance then that you're okay, God loves you, God forgives you. Like how, how is that working? And, and I guess what I mean by that is like, is that... Is that something that people just need to believe? Is it something they're feeling like? Like, how is that? How is that working? Or at least, how is it intended to work? Boy, that's a good question. My guess—I don't know. My guess is that it's supposed to convince people, right? And if it has the well, I don't know because I don't think they'd say the emotional experience of comfort is not important, right? Well, you get into trickiness with emotions. I for know, us. but there's something to comfort beyond just intellectually, isn't there? I think they would probably define it as spiritual comfort. I don't think they would. Wow, go they can't into, even go there, huh? Huh? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, more moderate Lutherans probably would. Uh, I don't even know if I like that phrase, moderate, but uh, those that really hold to this purpose of worship, I don't know if they would go there, be, not because they necessarily can't, but that it, it's not that your emotions matter. It's more of a spiritual problem that we have because of our separation from God as the center part of us. See, I brought this up because I think this is a perfect way to explain the um, the dichotomy between my experiential approach and your intellectual one because what we're talking about here is totally your thing in a nutshell right yeah here we say it's for reassurance and comfort and we can't even say that that's an emotional thing yeah so clearly we think about it theologically or logically which is a theme that's come up with um, my examination of my heritage and my tradition maybe it's just my approach to the tradition i could perfectly say that's possible um I um, went to seminary with you folks. It's not just you. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you have a different purpose for worship, and it's rooted in something much different than where ours is rooted. Uh, so how does that, how does that, my experience cast light on to what your experience is? Or how does my purpose of worship cast light on to your purpose? Yeah, I think... I think one thing it illustrates as we've been talking about it is that my tradition or my experience of it all has is a lot more open to the idea of emotion being a way that God works. So God working through emotional experiences, like like the laughter thing I talked about, right? Um, that's a pretty emotional thing because they talk about the joy of the Lord or whatever. Or, or you want to make Lutherans uncomfortable, have a bunch of Pentecostals laugh during a service. Well, or laughter. I remember people crying because they were burdened about something. Oh, yeah, that would be it, worse. You know? So, I mean, like, there's really emotion all over the place. I remember people, um, like, 
grunting and groaning and I mean all kinds of stuff because like you're trying to express what God is doing and even thinking about that's tough, right? Because how how could you express either physically or verbally or any of it what God is doing? I mean, just think about that. Like I said, part of the reason I like the idea of being slain in the spirit is because there's something to the idea of I can't actually accept the power of God, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm a human being. It doesn't It doesn't fit. It doesn't work that way. Um, but it very much um, now no, it's not that no one will say that there's no limits to that. And it's not that like I've heard messages or at least teachings about how emotions can also you know, lead you to some places that aren't from God, right? Um, because, you know, and, and that's actually something we'll probably talk about later, or I will, is that sometimes it's hard to tell which is which, you know. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, comparing it as we've just been doing, like, I think part of the reason that someone who grew up in churches like mine find it difficult to go, like, like, to go to a church like the one you grew up in, we, we say things like it's cold and it's not because, at least for me, that is never a judgment, right? But it seems so void of what I feel like should happen in a church, right? Because I'm steeped in this God working emotionally and God working affectively that way. And yeah. there isn't a place for that no. in yours. But then conversely, like... You all at have, least ritualistically, there's not exactly a right. Yeah, you know, and so I, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the key difference I see there is, you know, for you guys, it, it needs to fit within the system logically or rationally or understandably. Maybe is a better word to put it. Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, it's not that we don't have a system because believe me, we do. <laughs> but there's. Yeah. Uh, but logic and reason are not the place to start because those are, are even sometimes talked about as a way of like, you know, if you rely too much on your understanding and your reasoning, you're going to make it harder for the spirit to work. Because what the spirit does, what God does, isn't always going to make sense. Hmm. Interesting. So would you say that the more you think the less open you are to the spirit? Um, see, now that's going to vary, right? Would I say that? No. <laughs> it's a good thing because I'd be in trouble if that were the case. Yeah, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> um, but but there is a decided heritage from the beginnings of American Pentecostalism, even to today, a very much an anti-intellectualism that is a central part of that of of Pentecostalism for various reasons, but, you know, partly because um, when it all started, almost all, I think all of the leaders were not educated people. Many, you know, some of them, this was in the early 1900s and some of them were black, right? And mm-hmm. even the, even the white ones would not have been educated in college or seminary. You know, they'd say things like, I don't need textbooks. I, my only textbook is the Bible because they didn't have those things. And so they were also looked down on a lot by other religious groups because of that. And so it became kind of a badge of pride as a way of, well, we're going to own it and see the reason is, or, or, or I should put it this way. And so, you know, your churches are dead, right? Because you've thought God out of the building. Because, you know, that's, they t- you know, like Thomas Jefferson crossing out the miracles in the Bible kind of stuff, 
right? Because they don't make sense. And the Pentecostal would say, why do you want them to make sense? You know, <laughs> um, miracles by their very nature shouldn't make sense, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I'm curious. I'm curious, like, so that makes sense, like, in the system. But what about in the practice of it? Like, in the practice of experiencing the spirit or experiencing God through the movement of the spirit. Like in that moment, if you're thinking about speaking in tongues, just to use that as an example, if you're thinking about that, does that mean that you're less open uh, experientially to the spirit in that moment? Like, you know, you're thinking, oh, I really wish I would speak in tongues. Oh, I really wish this would happen Or, or something like that. You know, you're kind of playing a script in your head Um, And maybe part of that script is more logical in terms of like, well, maybe it's because I'm sitting over here. I'm not doing this thing or because of this, that or the other. You're trying to do a theological move in your brain to figure it. Does that make you less open practically or experientially in that moment? You know, I think I think in a way I would answer yes to that. Now, the reason I say that is because. the way speaking in tongues is talked about is um, like it can't be something you understand and you shouldn't be devoting a lot of time trying to figure it out because you're either speaking a language you, well, you're speaking a language you don't know whether that's an earthly language or some other kind of language. Right. Uh So it's not going to make sense. And they often talk about you got to release control so that God can do that. There's this idea of you'd hear the Holy Spirit being compared to a gentleman, right? The idea of not going to make this happen if you really don't want, if you won't, if you won't uh, give control up, if you won't, you know, consent to it. um, Which is kind of like a strain of Arminianism there. Yeah, I think very much so. Yeah, like um, there is personal agency in that. Um, Yeah. And so in a sense, yes, I think if you are spending all your time thinking about it, it's going to get in the way of that. However, (laughs) because of the importance of that within Pentecostalism and because everybody experiences it differently in the sense that some people it happens right away and some people ask God for it for years and never do. Yeah. You know, right. Um, Like at the same time, it's kind of unavoidable. Also, because oh. we're human beings and you can't turn off your brain however much you'd like to. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very, when you phrase it, when you framed it that way, it was very interesting because it's kind of like, yes, the answer is yes, but also no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like I asked that question because what popped in my mind was meditation, right? So when you Oh, don't meditate, tell them that. They're going to they're gonna hate you for that. <laughs> meditation is new age and evil. But yes. Well, if I if I'm this, anticipating where you're going, I'll let you finish your question. Okay. Yeah. So the the mood or let's say the mechanism of meditation is you even said it kind of like an emptying of yourself, yeah. an emptying of your mind. Right. And it's actually the logic, uh, which is you know ironic and weird in the same way. Um, but this logic of the meditation, like the more you think, the less meditative you can become. Right. And it's not that thinking is necessarily bad. It's just not conducive to that mechanism of experience. And yet you can't really empty your mind or turn off your brain or whatever you want to call it without choosing to do so. <laughs> right. Right. Like it's it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a very interesting mix of things there. 
when I have the most success at meditation, it's when I'm thinking about something specific in terms of my experience at that moment. So mindfulness would come into play there. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm being mindful about how I'm feeling and experiencing the world at that moment. And so although Pentecostals may hate me for that, I see at least a connection with someone who's outside of the tradition. I see a connection to that in terms of, you know, the more you focus on the experience that you're having spiritually in that moment, the more open you are to what that experience is trying to uh facilitate or inculcate within you right no i i think i i'm not going to argue with you at all (laughs) right but um it makes sense to me so i know that we kind of talked about how yours was you know based on this intellectual logical thing so what um i mean what role was there a role for emotions or how were those talked about or like you know i know it was obviously different than mine but like how did that work out in your experience of it of your, you know, system? Gosh, that is such like a hard question. (laughs) It really is. Um, And I think the hardness comes not just from my tradition, but from me and my story. Um, Emotionally, I haven't been as available until the last like decade or so. So it's really hard for me to think back to that. Uh, so I can only really use more recent experiences and more recent things. And, and then that gets troubling because, or tricky rather, because uh, since I've been more open, I've been more attuned to mm. how I'm doing things emotionally. I will say that the way that I experienced the conversation, the way I heard the conversation in seminary was... Emotions are fine, but you shouldn't trust your emotions. <laughs> That's a funny statement, but yeah, okay. Um, so it was almost like the best metaphor I have for it is confirmation bias. So hmm. if your emotions are supporting your theology or the theological logic of what's going on, uh, theologos, uh, hmm. then your emotions are, are peachy, right? But if they are not, then don't trust your emotions. And certainly we would look at anything where emotions are driving Hmm. our spiritual experience. We wouldn't even say spiritual experience, but um, that is highly suspect. That is like, uh -uh uh-uh-uh, no, you're not supposed to do that. You know, and there's some of that uh, cliche that's true. It's that German heritage. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, it's, it's a stereotype, but there's an a, acorn of truth in that. Uh, so there's some of that that we've inherited, some of just a lot of other things that's going on there. Uh, and that's what struck out to me, or stuck out to me when you were talking is, yeah, it was really interesting. You didn't quite say it like this, but a lot of the reasons why the emotional element worked during the revival um, in Los Angeles uh, was... Uh, social and oh, cultural yeah, for sure i mean the um and even today i mean especially if you look at outside of the west like in the global south like pentecostals tend to be a, a lot of pentecostals are poor are um 
not majority race wherever they are, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And that's how it was here at the beginning too, right? It was, yeah. it was all kinds of boundaries being crossed that weren't supposed to, whether it was racial or gender or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, very much. And for us, it's true on the other side, right? So we have a German heritage that feels more stoic. You've got philosophy that's idealistic. So you're really pursuing a platonic ideal and you're pursuing that intellectually. There's that whole Western philosophy tradition there that is ingrained culturally and socially within people. And so uh, we just, we didn't have... I could say it like as simply as this. We don't really have a vocabulary, let's say, for emotional experience. It's not that we would deny it. We just don't have a way to express it well. Well, you don't have a vocabulary. It seems like you don't have a vocabulary for it in terms of religious emotional expression. Right. Because right? Right. I remember there were times when I don't know that I ever laid it out in, in any of our classes like I did here. Right. But I could tell that there were times where I would talk about these kinds of experiences in some of our classes. And, you know, the the professors that had a better understanding of what Pentecostalism was were much more comfortable with that. But I'd see like the looks on people's faces of like not so much that they thought I was like it wasn't like a um, a smug or it wasn't like we're better than you. It was just like a holy crap. I haven't like does not compute. I don't know what to do right. with this. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of exactly what we're talking about. Right. And I'm exactly. like, well, stop trying to compute it. <laughs> but on the flip side, uh, although I don't have experiences of this, but um, at least in exchanges with people, but I do know that when I visited, um, well, so I'm just confirming what you said. When I visited assemblies of God, congregations and other Pentecostal ones, I experienced the same kind of thing. And it was very not uncomfortable, like I needed to get out, but I'm like looking around, I'm like, mm -hmm. is this is this normal? Is this what people do? And I remember very clearly in in St. Louis, it was during the doctorate program, so I was already making a move at that time to uh, a fuller understanding, if you will, of what's going on. And one of our projects was to go visit you know, right, churches. Right, yeah. And I went to a black church up in uh, north northern St. Louis on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Uh, I can't remember the name of the church, but we something. went there. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. Yeah. The first couple of times we went, it was really quite great. Um, and I don't honestly remember a lot of that except for the experience of it. What I do remember was like the fourth or fifth time we went. It happened to be the last, not because of this, but it just happened to be the last. Um, that was like full on display work of the spirit type thing, Pentecostal stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, at that time I wasn't uncomfortable. I don't know how my wife felt about it, but I was like, boy, this is something like I'm, <laughs> I'm experiencing something here. I'm seeing something that I would never see. And it was yeah. just really cool because I had been freed from, you know, the judgment that normally I would have. And it well, was just so great. And you got, I mean, so so black Pentecostal church is a lot more so even certainly than, than so, white yeah. Pentecostals, right? <laughs> I remember one time we, I think they did like a convoy of hope thing. And so a whole bunch of churches got together and we went to a one up, it's up north somewhere. But I mean, like they were doing the music and uh, you could tell... <laughs> 
<laughs> you could tell because all the white folks were just kind of barely moving, you know, being <laughs> yeah. uncoordinated and uncomfortable. And the, you know, so, yeah. so, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but the other thing I was hey. going to say, though, was that um, at the same time, as much as I love that and as much as that was really good, that kind of experience is just personally speaking, as someone who is a fairly intellectual person who likes to think and think deeply. There were times when I've really, really hungered for more or maybe even like it felt like something was missing sometimes because I, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about these things. I couldn't turn my brain off and nobody told me to turn my brain off, you know, but there was to me, especially I don't know that I would be able to have said it this way then, but especially looking back on it, there was a hunger for, um, I think, being engaged by God, like intellectually and, and mentally in a way that I don't know that I always was. Hmm. So like one of the things that I remember thinking about was, you know, even when I was like praying myself, like asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, that was very much like I even as a teenager, I recognized that like there was no way to truly like just be an emotional experiential thing like the, I, it was not possible for me to just not worry about anybody else in the room to to not wonder if it was going to happen to um, worry about it not happening. Right. Like there was this okay. like as much as I wanted to in in experiences like that anyway. I couldn't do it. It just wasn't possible. And then that provokes all kinds of questions in me because that's how I work. Right. And so then I start thinking about like, well, how come this person speaks in tongues and they speak a real language and this person doesn't and, you know, on and on and on and on. And um, I think that given the rigidity with which that believe it or not <laughs> in my in my kind of like in the assemblies of god there's a very specific way that that is supposed to happen and so there wasn't a lot of freedom for anything else in regards mm. to that you know if yeah. you're filled with the spirit you will speak in tongues end of story and if you're not then you haven't been because how that's how you know and right. like you know, that's that's just there's so much you could talk about there in the way we've been framing this. Right. Of like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Why do we got to have evidence? And, and the, like, yeah, that's that's, um, that's something like, you know, like given that we've just spent all this time experiencing God. Now we got to prove it. Like, weren't you watching? <laughs> you know, weren't you there? Weren't you feeling what God was doing? That kind of stuff. So um, well, I like what you were talking about is. uh so you started by talking about a longing for um, a thought process or a thinking to it. Right. And uh, where I was think going in my mind as I was listening to you was, I think I had the same longing. I don't think I really discovered that until just now. But one way that you could talk about some of the stuff we went through with the sin and salvation podcasts and more is that I just wasn't feeling it. Like I wasn't feeling the, the salvation. I wasn't feeling the grace. I knew logically it should be happening, but, and I knew logically that it was yet. It still wasn't quite 
it didn't feel quite right. There was a mismatch. There was something within me. And of course, we've talked about how I thought that was a deficiency within me that maybe I was doing something or maybe I didn't figure it out quite right or something like that. But I think there was that same longing of something else, something more, something maybe even deeper that I wasn't quite getting from the heritage that I got. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because, um, you know, like in my family, like unlike some people may have experienced my my parents were not ones to say it was wrong to think about stuff. And like they always told us, you know, they thought education was very important. And I remember my parents saying, you know, listen, you you want to watch out that things like education doesn't like get in the way of what God would do but there's no reason that it has to do that. Right. Um, like for them, it was not a, it will, it was a watch out lest that happen kind of thing, Yeah. which honestly, they're probably onto something there. <laughs> you know, there, yeah. I can see where that could be true. Um, but, but maybe this is just partly of like, when you live in whatever system you live in, there's more to it than whatever your family does or doesn't do, you know? And yeah, I think for your tradition does or doesn't do. Right. Like I think I wanted to like really dive into, well, how come we experience this and other people don't? And even as a like teenager, the answer, well, we're right and they're wrong didn't really work for yeah. me. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I never and I didn't hear this much because this this wasn't really something by the time I was alive. It was something in the early days of Pentecostals. And there's probably some out there who still do this, but generally speaking, it's not like well, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian kind of stuff. Um, okay, yeah. Although that does exist and it was a much bigger thing, but I think most of us have grown up and said, that's dumb, right? Um, right. <laughs> but like, you know, those kinds of things of like, I always wanted to know, why does it have to be a zero-sum game between the two of these things, right? Why, if God is so powerful, <laughs> why can I prevent God from doing what God wants to do? Just because with my intellect, right? Can we stop and think yeah. about that for a second? Oh, look, here's what I just said, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like with that, that famous phrase that uh, one of our professors says, why do you believe what you believe? Because you because believe, you believe it. it. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you need <laughs> proof, then, hmm, you know. Um, or changes the to put it this game. way, does God need to give us proof in the way that we demand it. I'm not, maybe God will, right? Maybe God will do that, <laughs> but is God bound by that? I hope not. I don't think so, <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe some people. He wouldn't. hasn't chosen to be bound by that. I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, will God condescend to work in the way we expect sometimes? Yeah, maybe. Sure. I don't think God has to do that. Well, isn't that why Job's in the Bible? Well, yeah, I, I would I, imagine. I think so. Yeah. It's like, it's it's not, so the way we characterize Job is, you foolish mortal, you shouldn't be asking that kind of thing. <laughs> and so there's like this shame narrative around that. But for me, it's more like, um, you realize that what you're asking is more than you think you're asking for. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, you talked about slain in the spirit, you know, when it comes to, I hate this movie, but the image that comes to mind is the crystal skull. Um, 
Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Have you seen that movie? Well, I have, but it's been a very long time, and it didn't exactly leave an indelible mark on my memory. Yeah, so, it's know. a really shitty movie, yeah. but at the end, the image is kind of great for this, at least, is you know what the villain wants is she wants knowledge of these aliens that are in the movie. Spoiler alert, because who, who cares? It's <laughs> don't a watch movie. it. It's not a spoiler. <laughs> you don't get those Snow two Rocket. hours back, you know. But of course, she dies because, or something, you know, something terrible happens because she's asking for something she cannot handle. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I vaguely remember this, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it just seems to me that's more like a compassionate God, a more uh, Christian God, if you will, a God revealed to us through Jesus, and then we read the Old Testament that way, and it seems to me that... Uh, yeah, the question, were you there at the foundation, is like, you can't know that stuff. Right. You can't you can't contain that in your brain. And if I were to try to do that, it would destroy you. Yet, at the same time, the book of Ecclesiastes seems to tell you that we're going to try anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, there's some inescapable oh, part. You of... don't need Ecclesiastes. You just look around well, and yeah. everybody's trying to tell you what God's well, like. But like, I remember when I did a, a, a Bible study at the church I was at previously and we were, it was just like a basic, how do you read the Old Testament? And we, one of the things we did is we encouraged them to read or listen to Ecclesiastes twice, right? And this one okay. guy told me, um, an old guy who was kind of a curmudgeon, but he ended up being very glad he came to the class. And he said, um, well, the first time I listened to it, he's like, oh, this is weird. I'm not getting anything out of it and whatever. Uh-huh. He said, then I listened to it again. And all of a sudden I realized that these are the same exact questions we're all asking all the time because we um, it's just part of us being humans is that, right. you know, we can't know all the things, but we want to know all the things and we're going to try to know all the things. And that's like, it just kind of is how it is, you know, because <laughs> like seeking to know things is not bad, but at the same time, you're never going to know all the things. <laughs> and yet we try. Well, even the things you do know, like, so here's the postmodern edge, right? The things you do know, you only know from a s- certain perspective. Right. right. And uh, you know, then we get into objective truth and all that it's nonsense. We've always talked about a limited knowing, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even like, if you're talking about like, let's say you play a piece of music perfectly. Well, that doesn't even really exist. Cause like, does that mean how the composer wrote it? And what about right. how other people experience it? And, you know, not to mention the yeah. question of is music art or math <laughs> kind of thing. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah, like it's always limited, whatever it is, which I think is frustrating yet beautiful. <laughs> it is, yeah. And I think that, uh, yeah, so the longing on both sides, like for us, the longing of, or at least my longing of emotion or effective faith um, could point to the limitation of knowledge. Whereas it sounds like for you, it was more like there's a warning of what the end of knowledge could be in your tradition. Yeah. Like the, like I said, watch out kind of thing. Um, and it's like, honestly, and we're going to talk about in the next one, the what's going on behind the scenes with some of this stuff. But like, I think they're kind of both right. <laughs> In the sense that, like, yeah, you should watch out that your knowledge and quest to know all the things doesn't stop you from experiencing what God has for you, right? And at the same time, 
you know, you're going to need to use the knowledge that, I mean, God's the one who created our brains and yeah. how they work. You know, God's the one that chose to give us a text to um, talk to us through, right? Like God set this up this way and God made us both emotional and intellectual. So, <laughs> you know, like you, you really, you really do kind of need both. I think. Unless you, you know, know some of the German Lutherans I know, and then, you know, well, listen, regardless of what they say or purport, <laughs> there's emotions going on in there, whether they can express yeah, them or not, I know. they still have them. <laughs> Just like for the, you know, most, you know, the wildest, quote unquote, craziest Pentecostal person you'll ever meet, their brains are still very much firing away during all yeah. that, you know. You can't turn off your emotions any more than you can turn off. Yeah, just your brain. as an aside, it's kind of interesting that anti-intellectualism. Maybe that should be like a, a thing we talk about because we have it too. We just have it. I think we have it differently. Uh, anti-intellectualism for us is not like the belief in the power of it, but is like methodological. So. Um, we kind of put a church versus the world um, lens on this. Of, of uh, uh, do you mean like science? And yeah, that kind science of stuff? and academic endeavors, uh -huh. um, which we'd have that in common. By the way, the academics were very bad. <laughs> this has been very interesting. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everyone. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we found this one really ex interesting to us. We discovered things about ourselves and our in our conversation together, and we hope that you discovered something about yourself, too. Next time, we're going to be talking about how this started to show its cracks or how it started to decline in our way of thinking. Of uh, Actually, probably a better way to say it is how we started to open up to other possibilities. And that's what the cracks are. The cracks are that this is the only way to experience things or think about things. In the final part of the conversation, we are going to discuss maybe a way forward of what we could do after we see those cracks. As always, we really do appreciate you listening. I can't say that enough, even though I say it often. If you have any feedback, if you have any suggestions, if you have any topics that you'd like us to talk about, if you have anything that's interesting, like a Bible verse or passage or news story or anything like that that you would like us to comment on, feel free to email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. We will do everything we can to uh, listen to that and to adjust accordingly. We really want to be in conversation with you. So until next time, we hope that you have a great time on the frontier. And as always, we want to leave by reminding you that it is okay not to know, not to know what you believe, not to know why you believe it, to not even know where you are heading in this journey of faith. We are just so pleased that we can be on the frontier with you.